As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello everyone, I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this episode, we're going to try and figure out if it was a snorefest or a point well earned as... United drew 0-0 against Chelsea. We're also going to preview United's Champions League game against Red Bull Leipzig and have a little bit of natter about Pelestri and, of course, say thank you to Dr. Marcus Rashford, MBE. Joining me, as ever, is my Manchester United strike partner at The Athletic, Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Carl. How you doing? I'm doing all right. We're recording this on a Sunday. Um, the clocks went back. Did you need any extra sleeping aids or was United nil, Chelsea nil? Good enough. <laughs> no, I had, a, I had a decent sleep, but I was very uh, pleased to find out in the morning. I'd forgotten all about it. So when my alarm went and I realised uh, that I'd had an extra hour in bed, um, I was most grateful for it because uh, I've needed it. <laughs> Best way to do it. Awesome with me. It's United We Stand, editor and contributing writer to The Athletic. He's the grand oracle of this podcast, has the best United stories I've ever heard. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. How are you doing, Andy? Hi, Carl. Hi, Laurie. Nice to join you both. We have plenty of Manchester United writing over on The Athletic right now, covering the team's past, present and future. Uh, United are playing two games a week, so there's plenty to talk about on and off the pitch. Access is currently just £1 per month, so just go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up now. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up for some of the best Manchester United writing you will find in the English language, and maybe in some other languages too. Now, Manchester United nil, Chelsea nil. Laurie. Point earned or two points lost? Whenever you play Chelsea, you know, it's, it's probably a point well earned, really, in the end. I think United, you know, were perhaps more cautious than we've seen in previous weeks. But then again, Chelsea were no more adventurous. Uh, I think both teams didn't want to lose. I think both managers didn't want to lose, particularly after the goals that have been conceded. And actually, you know, Solskjaer did make changes to go and try and win the game. You know, Cavani and Pogba pretty soon in the second half and then Greenwood coming on, you know, the three players that you'd say, you know, had the most potential to score for United or, or create something for United um, into the second half. And, and really they had the better chance, didn't they? You know, perhaps Marcus Rashford could have gone in a bit closer to the keeper. Um, although the ball, you know, from Wamata was a little bit slow. So he kind of had to think, I think he felt he had to sort of strike it fairly quickly um, to avoid the defenders closing in. And then his second half chance was a, a brilliant shot, really good 
say from Mendy, you know, you wonder if Kepa had been in goal for Chelsea, would United <laughs> have won that game? And it would have been like a, a you know, one nil, you know, great ground out victory. We move on and, um, you know, sort of slightly different reflections. But I don't mind Solskjaer's selection. I know it got criticised by some fans after the way that, you know, United approached the game in Paris. But I think that was very much a specific system against PSG. This one, I actually think, probably caught Lampard out a little bit because I think he went back three to match up with uh, what he perhaps predicted to be United's back three, given they played it against Chelsea uh, a number of occasions previously. But but I could see why he stuck with the team against Newcastle. I know people were sort of criticising the inclusion of Dan James and listen, maybe we'll come out of the team after this game because I think he's you know he, he didn't look confident in attack. But what he did do was you know cover defensively offer you know an organization to the team that you know Solskjaer I think you know wanted you know there was one particular moment when he you know for example he sprinted 60 yards back to track Reese James for a Chelsea counter that we we were right you know in line with it so you could see it happening and Reese James had acres of space and you mm. thought if they get the ball over to him it's a, it's an easy you know shot on goal it is a nil-nil draw United didn't lose that game do you think that was Solskjaer's main priority Andy I think when you're Manchester United at home you've always got to be we're aiming to to win, and I think if there would have been a crowd inside Old Trafford on Saturday, they wouldn't have accepted the pace of that game, and they would have roared the team forward. It looked like a training game at times. It was a dull match. Yes, there are positives. It's the first clean sheet in six home league matches. In fact, United hadn't even kept a clean sheet in the first half of any of those home games. But the home form is a worry. The away form is fantastic. The cup form is fantastic. But the home league form is a, a real worry. And we can pick out individuals and moments like Laurie did and agree with um, almost everything he, he said there. And with Dan James, one thing I'd add to that is when United finished uh, last season and they were on the way back from Germany at, to Manchester Airport and the players were waiting around the baggage carousel and Ollie was having a real chat with Dan James, basically saying, uh, you've got to focus, you've got to come back next season and you've got to get back to where you were. There was this feeling within the club that he'd overachieved in his first few months because he wasn't expected to be starting all the time. But he caught a fair wind and he was scoring goals and he ended up playing a lot more games than was expected. And I think a little bit of this is on Ollie in that he is one of his signings and you can't pretend that his form's been good in 2020 and he's not really started this season well. And it's quite frustrating watching him get on the ball in good positions, but then just run straight into challenges or dead ends against a very well-organised Chelsea defence, it's got to be said, especially Thiago Silva. And United's defence was was good as well. So I think there's a, a danger for Dan James now that he is becoming a scapegoat among fans. He's becoming the new Andreas Pereira. And don't think that's going to help him mentally. But when you're playing for Manchester United, then you do, you do have to perform. If not every game, then far more than Dan, Dan has been doing. I feel disappointed with a, a nil-nil draw and you know, five, two wins from five games, it, it, it isn't good enough. But I suppose I'm still a little bit on a high from Newcastle and, and Paris. I've still got optimism. I've still got faith. I just think Ollie's got to find what is going to work for him in certain matches because there were some really good players left out of that team uh, on Saturday. And I can understand some of the reasons and less so with others. I was pleased when Cavani came on. I thought he did some good runs, a couple of poor final balls. But as I've said a few times on this podcast, he's come with rave reviews from people I've spoken to who know far more about him than I do, including people in Paris last week 
So I'm looking forward to seeing him. With United and Chelsea, you don't quite know what's coming, do you? United won twice away at Chelsea um, last year. There was a really poor game at Old Trafford the season before last. And then last season, it was the 4-0 at the start of the season, which wasn't really a 4-0. I think yesterday, both teams were scared to concede goals because they've both been conceding far too many goals. So I think there will be some satisfaction there with the clean sheets and... United's defence was very good. I thought Victor Lindelof was United's best player. I must admit, there was a point around about in the 60th minute where my brain went from Manchester United should go for the juggler and win this game to, you know what, I'd be fine with a draw. Laurie, how did Oli sound after? He accepted that, listen, it wasn't the most entertaining game. I think satisfied with, you know, the clean sheet really because, you know, he, he and his defenders have been hammered um, recently for their performances. You mentioned Lindelof, I thought he was, I do really agree, he was excellent. And actually, I think he stepped on the gas a little bit towards the end of the game. There was a couple of times when he brought the ball out really well with, with actual real purpose and, and kind of forced a couple of openings that United had chances from. I thought Maguire was good again um, after Newcastle, solid sort of reaction to you know, the trauma of, of Spurs and, and the England games. And uh, Wan-Bissaka, again, I think showed his qualities one-on-one defensively. So I think Solskjaer was probably quite pleased with that. And, and that's what he wanted to bring into his side last season. Start with the defence. That's why he bought Maguire and Wan-Bissaka. Start with the defence. He, he managed to get the goal. Goals conceded column, you know, much uh, reduced. And then build, you know, build the creativity from that. So I feel like he's gone back to that principle against a side that, you know, had £200 million worth of attackers, you know, in, in Pulisic, Werner and Havertz so you know it's not like he was up against a team that he perhaps expected to sit back and, and defend as much as they did and, and I do agree I think if Thiago Silva hadn't been there as well I know I mentioned Kepa before but if if Thiago Silva hadn't been there then you know he, I thought he was really smart with some of his movement that block on Cavani was was essential really for Chelsea um, and, and his defending was was quality so um, Solskjaer I think he was kind of pleased you know overall as much as you can be with a nil-nil draw and I, I take Andy's point that it was pretty excruciating at times but I kind of feel sort of similarly that you know a point against Chelsea a win in Paris you know as a week's activity not bad and you've had Cavani out on the pitch and sort of to echo what Andy was saying apparently Cavani's been really sharp in uh, training this week which I think is probably why Solskjaer turned around to him uh, after Rashford was went through and sort of had a bit of a discussion striker to striker as to how they might have finished that one it, that was a really nice sight Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Shall we talk about Dr. Marcus Rashford, MBE, and his fantastic work? Well, that's it. He's, he's been he's been doing it on the pitch, but but off the pitch, it's been quite remarkable, hasn't it? It has. There was a little moment in the, later in the second half where Rashford had a shot, and I thought if if that had gone in, it might have been the greatest week I've seen in a footballer's life. Laura, you have written a piece recently saying how Manchester United can get the best out of Marcus Rashford. That talks a lot about playing the ball into space and playing uh, neat touches and passing triangles as well as diamonds. In the games going forward, it's Red Bull Leipzig on Wednesday, then Arsenal on the weekend, and then I think it's Istanbul Bashir. Again, forgive me for the pronunciation, that's wrong. The week after, 
Where do you think Marcus Rashford's going to be playing and what sort of role is he going to be doing in the next couple of days? Well, um, obviously with Anthony Martial being suspended, that's why we've seen him up front. And I know he partnered him away in Paris as well up front. So I think he's done really well. The, the piece that I was writing was was kind of well, in reflection of the Spurs game where there was a number of times at Old Trafford you could see he was not frustrated, probably too strong a word, but just he was making runs that weren't getting even attempted passes into him. So whilst obviously strikers, you know, that's what you have to do. You know, you, you make runs to test the defenders, to, to create space, to sort of set traps for them later on in games. Clearly, you, you want some of those runs to be reciprocated with passes through. And I think that's actually what then happened at, at Newcastle and at, at PSG, which is what I, I sort of tried to highlight with the piece and the fact that clearly United play well on the counter-attack, but often it can be in those sort of moments of transition, you know, from midfield, for instance. Um, and there was, you know, a number of balls really away in Paris, mm. you know, three from Bruno in particular, one from Scott McTominay, where Rashford then seized upon it and, and you know, strode forward with real purpose and intensity. And, and listen, perhaps could have finished a couple of them better or, you know, touches took him into, you know, areas where the defender was able to intercept. But I think ultimately that's still a, a real dangerous threat for United. And I think they should utilise it, you know, as, as often as they can really. Really, it's sort of similar against Chelsea. There was a number of runs that he made, and you could, mm-hmm. you know, he, he then sort of looked, um, looked up. And there was one moment in the second half when Fred, you know, actually apologised to him because he was coming through, and he, you know, Rashford was peeling off the back of Thiago Silva. It was quite a good opportunity, and, and left-footed, it was a, an opening for Fred really. Um, and he, he put his hand up and apologised. Rashford gave him a thumbs up, and actually, the <laughs> the chance that he got in the first half was when McTominay had tried to do a quick pass sort of through midfield and it, it didn't quite go down the channel and and, and then obviously Bruno intercepted and, and Mata put, him, put, put Rashford through and, and Rashford sort of turned and acknowledged it. So that was kind of what the piece is about and I, I just think that if he's playing centre forward you've got, you've got to give him those opportunities to, to get through because he will, you know, more often than not he will finish those chances. But I mean, listen, you know, we, we've touched upon it a little bit and I don't know what yourself or Andy want to talk about in terms of what he's done off the pitch but I, I feel that 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 campaign really is is quite remarkable for the way that you know, I think people perhaps thought you know after the sort of original success of, of the U-turn from the government that that would be that and then maybe the MBE okay you, you've had your your sort of acknowledgement <laughs> from from the government that that'll be that and and but no actually this is something that's clearly very very close to his heart and he wants to keep going with and the actual execution of it has been superb you know very um, targeted and the way that he's then able to collate all these places across the country that are offering you know children free school meals where you know the government have have shied away from doing so I think is is really productive um, and it's been conducted in a sort of positive way without the usual sort of mudslinging that you get in these kind of difficult debates. It is fantastic. And as we're currently recording, I can take a quick look at Marcus Rashford's Twitter page and he is currently tweeting places up and down the country that are offering free school meals. He's just tagged one in Burgess Hill and 10 minutes ago just tagged one in Northampton. It's remarkable. Uh, And credit to him, credit to Melanie Rashford, his mother, for all the great work they're doing here. Andy, I want to get your thoughts on just... Marcus Rashford. From the football side of it, I know that the coaches have been working on him getting the ball on the turn, on the half turn, because he's Mm -hmm. very dangerous and not so much with his back to goal. And you saw that a few times in Paris where there was a feeling that him and Martial needed to be closer together. There's also um, a feeling that he he, he needs to be closer to goal if he's going to be scoring more goals. And too many of the shots are coming from too far away that... He's a good lad. Um, the club are absolutely happy to let him do what he's doing off the field and are supportive of it. 
had a few fan groups get in touch with me to say that they're planning flags um, in recognition of this at Old Trafford. Uh, the coaches feel that he's done well in the number nine role and he's been getting better because he had a pretty tough time after his injury. Mm-hmm. And there were times where his, his form wasn't uh, as good as, as it had been, which I suppose is to be expected given how serious it was. In terms of the work he does off the field, um, his persistence is, is staggering, isn't it? And mm. his determination, which I think comes from his own life experience, that's the thing that I like best about it. He has been hungry himself, so it's coming from the heart. And I think it's really captured um, the imagination, not just of United fans, but it completely transcends that. We saw Leeds United's players. I mean, Leeds, <laughs> if you went back 20 years... <laughs> were one of the two biggest rivals to Manchester United. People would argue among themselves if it was City, Leeds or Liverpool. I can remember those discussions. So you've got Leeds players um, supporting Rashford. On Friday, I took a call from people in Urmston, which is very close. Uh, It's where I'm from in Manchester, but it's very close to the Carrington training ground, saying we've raised this amount of money and we'd like to put it into Marcus's charity. How do we get in touch with him? And a really considerable amount of money and people who not even interested in football in in some cases and i've seen some comments where um, people have said if he was playing he'd probably be getting applauded at every away ground um i'm not sure because united are winning at every away ground at the moment whether they'd still be <laughs> applauding him but i think the sentiment's definitely true um, he's a popular laddie manchester united have been historically very unpopular because they've been so good with away fans but I mean, Rashford is is very popular, but it's his persistence. It's his non-stop. He's got the he's got the bit between his teeth. He's got a considerable amount of support and knockers as well. Because when you enter the sphere of politics, that's gonna that's gonna come, and he has to expect that there will be some pushback from from some people, and we're seeing that. But there's just this wave of unrelenting support for for what he's doing, and I personally think it's a good thing what he's doing. I think that he's using his energy in a good way and I'm fully supportive of it as a player I think he knows that um, well I know he knows that he's on he's on his way to becoming a world-class player but he isn't there yet Uh, he he needs to continue to improve Uh, he was happy when um, Cavani came in he absolutely liked the idea of Sancho coming um, even of Kingsley Coman a former star of this podcast coming in so Another player who felt that the squad was a little bit light in areas and more competition would would be a good thing. But uh, his stock is so high on and off the pitch at the moment. And it it won't always be like that. And he knows that because there's been times where he's been a little bit of a scapegoat himself. But look at his statistics for how young he is, for how many goals he scored for Manchester United. The way that he came through those youth ranks and... Just, just his his life story is incredible because he had a pretty challenging upbringing and moved around. People say he's from Wivenshaw. He's not really. He he grew up in Wivington, and and then he moved to Wivenshaw. But he wasn't there for that long because he moved around a couple of times and he left home when he was very young and he was staying with his brother for a time and you know just to come through a really challenging upbringing and be the huge success that he's been with all these players and and non-football people looking up to him it's fantastic it is it's a great credit to him uh, to those listening to this podcast wanting to contribute to Rashford's current push to end child poverty you can um, work check out work at Fair Share the 
official charity Marcus Rashford is partnered with. And there's also the Trussell Trust for those based in the United Kingdom, which is an organization behind uh, a number of food banks in the United Kingdom. Laurie, Manchester United announced their quarterly results last week. Um, my dad is an accountant, but I can't, I still can't quite understand football maths, despite my stats, love of stats. What are the highlights of Manchester United's finances? The big takeaway really was that coronavirus crisis has cost the club about £70 million. So the uh, the, the estimated uh, annual revenue for the year was uh, about sort of 560 to 580. And in the end, it was only 509, only 509 million pounds. <laughs> um, but I mean, listen, and, and then that means that the, the net debt overall rose considerably from 203 Point six million to four hundred seventy four point one million. So that's a, a big wedge. That's basically that the gross debt hasn't changed. That's stayed the same since twenty fifteen. Um, but it means that there's less sort of cash in the bank and uh, the kind of expected revenues from from certain sponsorships, which I think United have worked with partners on to kind of you know uh, delay certain payments coming in. That has meant that the the net debt has gone up considerably. They're they, you know they're still comfortable in terms of being able to spend on on transfers but I, I thought the other interesting thing was the Chevrolet deal that they've extended uh, for six months to December 2021 the club say that that's no uh, you know sort of reflection on the fact that they're struggling to get a new shirt sponsor certainly not at the the price that, that Chevrolet um, you know handed over which was uh, a major major deal mm-hmm. um, they, they say that the actual you know that's a reflection on a good relationship between themselves and and um, General Motors who obviously own Chevrolet um, because they're feeling the pinch of the pandemic they've given them an extra bit of time to pay it off they've converted it from being paid in dollars to being paid in pounds sterling so that gives united they think a bit more money sort of 11 million pounds overall so i suppose it's a bit more um of a, of a payment coming in but it's um it's more guaranteed fund i suppose but it's just a bit more time for united to get the money but it was an unusual one it was not unexpected so we could be seeing united change shirt sponsors midway through next season um which would obviously be unusual and i'm not sure exactly how that would work um with you know the replicas and what have you uh, i'm not sure anybody would rush out to the shops to to buy <laughs> a, a different uh, sponsor on the front i guess that's not really the point is it but anyway uh, yeah quite an interesting one and also edward wood on the call was was pretty um, covered lots of ground covered uh, project big picture in, in a way without referencing it directly but spoke about you know the idea of being uh, sort of paternal rather than predatory you know we, we discussed didn't we about was it a big land grab which i'm still suspicious that that it would have turned into that kind of move but from his perspective they were saying that it's a an opportunity to give money to you know the pyramid and restructure it so that actually you know these clubs can be more financially sustainable long term Uh, and he also had quite specific criticism really of the government he didn't mention them by name but suggested that it was very inconsistent to let people you know go to the cinema for example go to the cinema even to watch football matches but not allow any fans whatsoever into football stadiums which does you know I have to say he made a compelling point on that point really because um, it, it is bizarre that you're you're seeing in Germany, for example, you know, tens of thousands of fans allowed in stadiums, Formula One uh, races, you know, you've got thousands of fans, yet at Old Trafford um, on Saturday, you know, it was eerily silent again, you know, you could hear the, the shouting and, and what have you from the players, and as we discussed before, it's just not, not the same, so um, I can see him applying pressure there, and I wonder if that's a first move in, you know, Premier League clubs at least sort of getting together to try and convince the government that actually they can hold you know mm-hmm. uh, fans in a safe environment which um, i think we'd all welcome 
I was in Paris and on my way back from Paris the other day, so I was getting all this information and wasn't able to listen to, to the investor call, but I saw the text of it because I was flying back to it. I think most United fans are, are pretty interested in the financials, especially now because um, for a long time it tended to be the, the revenue was going up, the profits were pretty consistent. And now there's more scrutiny, especially when the team don't perform, especially towards the owners, the Glazer family. When they took their um, dividends last week, stuff like that doesn't really go down mm. well with with supporters. And uh, Ed Woodward's comments about pushing to have fans back, I'm totally with, with him on that one. It does seem bizarre that huge stadiums cannot have limited capacities because um, it makes such a difference. We gave the example the other day in Paris and every game, it's just hollow. It's not as it should be. Even if you had 1,000 fans in there, it would make a difference and you'd be able to hear the fans rather than just the cries um, from the players. And United had pushed for 12,000 fans for that Palace game, but against the backdrop of increasing rates, it seems more unlikely. And yet, in other countries, as you've said, which have got high rates, they have found a way to, to make it work. I know there were some worries that it's not just about being in the stadium where fans can socially distance, but the transport to and from the ground, but... I'm still sure that they could get a way to work for a certain number of people in the in the low thousands. It doesn't need to be seventy four thousand people mm -hmm. with three thousand chirpy Chelsea fans getting along with themselves. Laurie, you'll be covering the Red Bull game. I shouldn't call them Red Bull. I should be calling them Rassenball Sport um, in midweek. Do you think? United will repeat that uh, five-three-two shape, and Axel Tuanzebe will come back into the to the team for that. Um, I think if they do, I think he's. I think he could welcome back into the team. I suppose it's just a question of whether that system, in particular, was there for PSG. And you know, with their front three of, you know, Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria. Um, you know, you can imagine that Solskjaer was particularly tuned to that and, and wanted to make sure that United was secure, and it, it worked, didn't it? Leipzig play a different system, but as Andy says, they've been in really good form. So you know, could he could he go with a, a bit more of a? I suppose it's not even a cautious system, really, is it? When you've got Luke Shaw there, actually wanting to get forward, it, it can be quite an attacking system still. Um, but yeah, no, I thought Tuanzebe was great in Paris and he has been someone that I've really hoped can get a, a period of fitness because um, you know I, I, I was very aware of him at Aston Villa having you know covered Aston Villa at the time when he was there the positive impact that he made on, on a couple of loans um, with them and you know last season that's why Solskjaer had him in his in his squad he was there really to challenge Lindelof as the partner for Maguire and you could mm. sense that something was happening you know he made him captain against Rochdale and then he got injured and he came back and just never quite w was fully fit so we've seen what he can do when he's you know when he's you know, ostensibly fully fit, but clearly he's, he's not, you know, still got that match sharpness because it was, you know, 10 months since he last played. So it's quite a remarkable performance when you think about all the context. And, but he does offer that speed. He's got composure. He's very um, calm, I think, as well. He knows his game. He's got good positional sense. So I'd love to see him stay fit and get a good run in the team. And that, that does explain more why United didn't sign a centre-back. You know, they obviously had Phil Jones and um, Marcus Rojo as well. Chris Smalling only went on deadline day. So that was always a balance. But Axel Twenzebi being there, I think, was also part of the, part of the conversation and, and the, the hope that he would return back fit and, and put in the kind of performance that he did do against PSG. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. There is another player Manchester United fans were talking about a lot this week. In fact, they were talking about him so much that it trended in the United Kingdom, despite the fact he was playing in the under-23 game and there was another Premier League game going on. It's Facundo Pelestri, who uh, made his debut on the 23s. Andy, you've had a good chinwag with Diego Forland about him. Uh, you broke the story on The Athletic that he was signing for Manchester United. Uh, I watched the game on the under-23s and saw Pelestri play against Everton. He was neat, a little bit apprehensive, but grew into the game as things went on. Has some really nice close control and isn't bad uh, when he's dribbling alongside a defender. But I still don't know that much more about him. I still think, Andy, you're the grand oracle on this one. Um, when do you think United could reasonably expect a player like this to start making movements towards the senior team? I didn't expect him to be in the senior team when I wrote the first story about him signing. And I was mildly surprised um, that he was came in as a into the first team squad. Um, I think there's a lot of development still to go with the player. Uh, I wrote the reasons why um, he'd been signed and how Ollie had done a lot of background checks um, with him, but he's still got some way to go in terms of um, how he finishes in front of goal. Um, He's settling into Manchester. His family came over this weekend for the first time, told he's from a good family, he speaks really good English. And I watched enough of the game on Friday night, which you were at, at, at Lee, and I thought he did enough positive things. Um, I can see why he's been signed. I like the idea of United buying the young players, but I don't have any expectations of him being in, in the first team. But then I'm not the one who, who signed him. I'm just trying to piece together the information uh, that, that I know and if he does come in and, and plays then then great it, this will only be his first full week in in training um, whereas uh, with all the players there's no international uh, break he is in that first team bubble which creates its own slight issues because you have certain players like Ted and Menge who may have stepped up into the first who did step up into the first team bubble but meant that he couldn't play for the other teams and then had a, a lack of match practice. So there are all sorts of logistical issues there. Uh, what I was told right at the start about Palestre is that he's very exciting going forward. He, he dribbles really well. He reminded Diego Forlana of a young Ryan Giggs, but right throughout he, he was adamant that this is still a work in progress. He's still very young and there's good ingredients there, but he didn't. Um, expect him to, you know, go straight into the first team of a top European club, mm -hmm. because Palestre stood out in Uruguay because he was unique. But there are many fast young players in Europe at the top clubs, so I'm sure he'll get his chances. And if he is good enough, then Oli Gunnar has always given you you for chance. And I think when, because he's a new player, because people see his clips on YouTube. They want to see him and you, new players excite fans. And this is why we're getting a little bit of a clamour for Donny van der Beek because 
fans have seen him and they can't understand why he's not playing. But I would see um, Palestre, from what I've been told, but I've been told you know, my sources were good on this one, um, to be a slow burner. Let's hope that I'm completely wrong and he scores 32 goals this season. Andy, it's really good you mentioned Donny van der Beek there because I'm looking through our reader questions and Donny is definitely topic number one. Uh, we've got questions here from Matthew Tilly and Dara O'Mullahan who asks, uh, Matthew wants to know, what does Donny van der Beek have to do to get a start? Uh, and Dara asks, uh, is the narrative around van der Beek inflated and a weird overreaction for a player who's 23 and joining a new league? So, is Donny being overlooked or is this all part of a long-term plan? Laurie, where do you currently sit? Well, I think I can understand why there's some um, sort of circumspection about the fact that he's not been starting. I, I probably would have started him by now. I think the the uh, impact that he's had, certainly you know, in the Carabao Cup and then coming on as a, a substitute away at Newcastle, probably warranted a start you know yesterday I think he could have started instead of Dan James but then again as I said earlier I thought Dan James does offer a lot defensively so I guess that's where Solskjaer was coming from and then the way that the match went you know he just he had three substitutions and he sent on Cavani, Pogba and uh, Mason Greenwood to try and win the game Donny van der Beek could equally have been another good substitution in that aspect really because he has been creating and, and obviously scored against Crystal Palace so Listen, I suppose that's just up to the manager to decide, though. When he joined, Van der Beek was spoken to by Solskjaer, giving very clear instructions to how he would be used in the team. I think it was always going to be the case that he would ease him in and he wanted to get him adjusted to the Premier League life. I know that he has played Champions League very, very well uh, and... Uh, you know, he's an experienced player, but you know the Dutch division is different to the Premier League. And is he, you know, capable of, you know, playing ninety minutes every week from the get go? I don't think it's necessarily required. I, th- I actually, I know that forty million seems like a lot of money, but when you think of what United paid for Juan Mata, for Nemanja Matic, for Fred, you know, they've got a lot of players that they've paid a lot of money for, and I don't think that just means they automatically start games I've really liked watching Van der Beek so far already he's clearly going to be a quality player for United I think people can just hit pause on it at the moment I don't think we're at a stage where we're we're really wondering what in earth is going on I mean when you think about Fabinho when he first joined Liverpool you know there was I think it was a couple of months before he actually got into the Liverpool team and I know that that was very much um, you know a case of Jurgen Klopp wanting him to get up to speed with the pressing and, and the kind of style of play that he wanted but you know the same can be applied to Van der Beek uh, with United and you know I don't think it was it was it I think it was the image wasn't it of him sort of in the stands looking a little <laughs> bit forlorn and, and everyone sort of wanting to put their arm around him I mean listen maybe that was a, a picture of caught at a particular moment that didn't reflect exactly what he was thinking maybe it was uh, and you know he, he does need a bit of an arm around the shoulder but I do really think you listen to us all show every week he's, he's asked about it he says he will get chances, he will play games. You know, they've got the Champions League. He could even start against Red Bull Leipzig. Sorry, I've, I've said what you said earlier, RB Leipzig. <laughs> uh, he could even start against RB Leipzig and, you know, that wouldn't be a surprise. I think um, I think that it, it'll just be a case of getting in, getting in the groove. And, and I think he'll always be in and out of the team. United have got a lot of midfielders and I don't think any one of them, apart from Bruno Fernandes, really is a is a, is a ge- genuine automatic starter. Um, I think it'll be, you know, a case of horses for courses, really. And do you want to get your thoughts in here? Also, uh, we've got a question here from pa- Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, who asked, uh, why didn't Oli use the confidence from the win in Paris to play with more attacking intent and urgency? This one's a bit interesting to me. When you look at Oli's subs, he brought on Cavani, Greenwood and Pogba. 
that seems pretty attacking to me. But also, maybe it is this thing of, is Donny, you know, is it the case where the longer Donny doesn't play, the more Donny's going to be talked up as the answer to everything? Yeah, it will be. Absence will make the heart grow fonder, even though he's never actually started a game. I, I do take your point that United went for it more than Chelsea towards the end from the 70th minute onwards. Look at the substitutions that came on um, with Pogba and Greenwood and Cavani. They're all attacking players and didn't didn't quite happen. It's, it was one of them days. But with Van der Beek, right from my first conversation um, with, with um, people at the, the club about him, I didn't. I never thought that he'd been brought to be a starting player. That I felt that he'd been brought to add uh, depth, to add quality. I did speak to Mike Phelan about him, and he saw him as uh, almost as a striker, someone who could score goals. And I've said this on previous podcasts, but I felt it was the the, the coaches thinking that there is a lack of top quality talent for the Champions League. So maybe we'll see him play there, even though it didn't happen from in Paris. I really think he'll get his chance. I don't think you can spend 40 million. It's not a lot, but it is still a lot and not play a player mm-hmm. without there being something seriously wrong. And I've not been told of anything seriously wrong. And when we've seen him in games, I think he's done really well. I thought he was really good at Brighton away when he came on. And, I just it, it's still early, and his his agent kicking off after he, he just landed, saying that he wasn't starting in every game. That probably didn't go down well. I wouldn't um I wouldn't think that that's that sways uh, the the team selection. I, I just think he'll get his chance. But you are right because of the way that fans work and they want to see the new signing, especially one who did so well at Ajax and did so well in the Champions League. That when things don't go well and you have players underperforming. People quite rightly will be baffled. Well, we've got this really good player here. Why are we not seeing him play? So I think it'll happen. And it's not happening in a month's time. And we're talking about it on the podcast. Then maybe some more serious questions are needed then. I've certainly had no sense of what I had when Fred first arrived, when he was training well and um, it, his confidence was dipping early on in games if he gave a, a bad pass away. Uh, I've not heard anything that he's not training, that he's, that he's well short of the level. The manager can't say that he doesn't fancy him because he's the one who's brought him in. So it's not like a new manager's come in and said to him, you're not in my plans. This one is on the manager. He's one of the manager's signings and he cost a lot of money. But I do think that chance will come. One other question here from Simon Hunter. This one I find very pleasing. I'm going to ask this to both of you. Um, Andy, this one's going to you first. Given how wide open the title race seems, do you think United have the capability to make a title challenge, despite being 15th? A mate of mine, I don't know if he was joking or not, said, but if if we score against Chelsea, I'm putting a load of money on United to win the league here. And <laughs> it, there's definitely freakish results. I mean, it, it's not just um, United who've had a stuttering start. Manchester City, Liverpool have dropped points as well. And then you look at Villa and Leeds near the top of the table. None of this was expected. And it's not just in England. Barcelona and Real Madrid have been losing games in Spain. So the lack of fans, the lack of pre-season preparation, uh, it's definitely affecting uh, results. Do I see a Manchester United team who can't win at home being crowned league champions whenever this season finishes? I think it is still scheduled for May. Not at the moment because... The team have not been able to get that level of consistency. And it's all right, one-off performances, 
United under Oli have never really had months and months of consistency. I thought that it was coming um, after after Burnley and around the lockdown. But if you're going to win the league, it's got to be even better than that. I think United's form from January until the end of last season was typical of that of a team that finished third in the table. Well, United did finish third and did really well to finish third and to get into the Champions League. But Oli touched on playing in Europe a few times and that was one reason he gave for the flatter performance against Chelsea that the team had played in Paris coming back from a very tough game midweek and as I'm listening to him I'm thinking okay fair comment but then I think half the players didn't even play in Paris so you've, you've really can change the team I don't think United will win the league this year I've never thought that um, but I am also surprised that Liverpool and Manchester City the two teams I thought would be way out in front again have been tripping up. Maybe when they find their groove, and hopefully this will never happen, they'll start pulling away again. But United need to find theirs as well. For me, I think it's a case of fitness. Uh, Ollie said after the victory over Brighton that United were maybe three to four weeks away from match fitness. And, and they're getting to that point, as you saw in the victory over Paris, that they're getting close to match fitness, they're getting a bit better, and then eventually Ollie will be able to choose everyone as they're close to 100%. I still don't think United will finish higher than third. But you never know. Laurie, what do you think? I think the fact is that it's going to be a lower points total, isn't it, than than you know we've had last sort of three seasons really. So and that, that's the winning points total, not United's points total. Yeah, yeah. So the the, t- the title <laughs> winners will you, you can't imagine a, a, you know ninety points. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at it already, thinking will it will it be as much as ninety, and that therefore opens up a gap so that it's not the fact that United have to make up 33 points, which is what it was last season, but actually maybe it's, you know, 15, 16, which is still a lot of points to, to ask a team to, to kind of collect it over the course of one uh, season. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's more wide open, isn't it? I mean, Liverpool, you know, ground out that win against Sheffield United. They, they, they have the, the the credentials you know they've got the experience but Virgil van Dijk not not being there is such a huge thing Man City do look just weirdly off it um, so you know it, it's much more open than it was I expect United to rise the table you know the 15th I think is a, is a false position I mean you look at it now and you know they're three points off you know Leeds who are fourth uh, with a game in hand so it could flip around really quickly teams are beating everybody else um, and but yeah, I mean, listen, the title—you <laughs> can dream whilst it's still on. I mean, it's—it's it's, you know, it's to, to have lost twice and to still say you know you're not not ruling them out completely from the title race is is some some hell of a season. But um, yeah, I expect Liverpool will get a bit more in a groove, and you know they're still the team to beat, aren't they? But United, I think, will be closer than they were last season. I mean, United have played five games in the league so far, and. I think I've had many a football managers say don't really pay attention to the league table until ten games are played. So we'll we'll be calm for now. Thanks, listener. Thank you, Laurie, as well. Cheers, guys. And thanks, Andy. Cheers, lads. And thank you, listener, to joining us once again. Uh, this has been an episode of Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast, brought to you from the Athletic. Mm-hmm.